the most crucial component in any organization or business is leadership. Good leadership can lift an organization to success. Poor leadership can plunge it into ruin. And the same holds true for the church. Leadership is crucial. In his book, Everyday Discipleship for Ordinary People, Stuart Briscoe tells a story of one of his young colleagues who was officiating at the funeral of a war veteran. The man's military friends were to be part of the service, and so they requested that the pastor lead them down to the casket, stand for a solemn moment, and then lead them out the side door. Well, he proceeded to do so, but unfortunately he picked the wrong door. And the result was that they marched with military precision into a broom closet. And Briscoe says that points out two principles. Number one, if you're going to lead, make sure you know where you're going. And number two, if you're going to follow, make sure you're following someone who knows what he's doing. A leader isn't worth much if he doesn't know where he's going and what he's doing. The religious leaders in Jesus' day were that way. He referred to them in Matthew 15, 14 as blind guides of the blind. And they not only led people into a broom closet, but they led them into a pit. In Matthew 9, 36, it says that when Jesus saw the multitudes, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. They had people with the title of leader, but they weren't leading. And Jesus saw that as a tragic scene because he knows the importance of spiritual leadership. And that's why in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, the standards are so high for leadership in the church. The standards are high because the stakes are high. And that's why in spiritual leadership there is so much potential for blessing. In 1 Timothy 5.17, Paul says that the elders who rule well are worthy of double honor. And that's why in spiritual leadership there is so much potential for reproach. James cautioned in James 3.1, Let not many of you become teachers, knowing that as such we shall incur a stricter judgment. Why? Because when you go astray, others follow. Spiritual leadership is crucial in the church. And that's why Acts chapter 20 is such an important passage. Because it lets us listen in as the Apostle Paul exhorts a group of spiritual leaders. And as he challenges them, he also challenges those of us who are church leaders today. Now Paul is traveling by ship to Jerusalem. He's hoping to be there by the day of Pentecost. And he has a layover in Miletus, 30 miles from Ephesus. And so he calls for the elders to come to him, and he addresses them one final time. And in verses 18 to 24 that we saw last time, he showed them from his own life four perspectives of ministry. Toward God, serving. Toward the church, teaching. Toward the lost, evangelism. And toward himself, sacrifice. And now beginning in verse 25, he's going to get more specific. 
And now behold, I know that you all, among whom I went about preaching the kingdom, will see my face no more. Paul would have made a good southern preacher because he calls them you all. The King James is ye all. And what does he want them all to know? That this is the last time they will see his face. These men who have worked side by side with Paul now find that they must go on without him. And as Paul stands at this transitional point, he makes a rather amazing statement in verse 26. He says, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. Now that's a statement that comes out of an analogy in Exodus chapter 33. And there we find out about the watchman who stood on the wall. His responsibility to, was to look out and see when the sword of God came in judgment against the land. And when that happened, he was to sound his trumpet and warn the people. And if he saw the sword of God coming in judgment and he didn't sound the trumpet, then the blood of the people was on his head. But if he saw the sword of the Lord coming in judgment and he sounded the trumpet clearly and the people heard but ignored, then their blood was on their own head. And Paul sees himself in this passage as a watchman, warning men of the coming judgment of God. And he can say with confidence, I am innocent of the blood of all men. Why? Verse 27, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Why could he say I'm innocent of the blood of all men? Because he had made a clear warning. He says, I did not shrink. That word means to draw back. Paul got knocked back a few times, but he never drew back. Every opportunity he got He warned people about the coming judgment of God. And so no one would use Paul as an excuse and say, I didn't know better because he didn't tell me. Paul told them. And Paul made it clear. Because he says here, he told them the whole purpose of God. He didn't tell them part of the story. He didn't tell them the easy things and not the tough things. He didn't tell them about the love of God and not the justice of God. He didn't tell them about heaven and not about hell. He told them the whole story. He said the judgment of God, the sword of the Lord is coming in judgment and there is only one place to hide. And that's beneath the cross of Jesus. And I wonder this morning if you can say what Paul says here. Maybe not about all men, but at least about your friends and your family. I am innocent of the blood of my friends because I have clearly sounded the trumpet of warning. Paul could say that. He could also say it because he was passing the baton. You see, Paul is leaving, but he's speaking to these spiritual leaders. And he says, I have communicated to you the whole purpose of God. 
so that after I'm gone, you'll be able to continue to sound the trumpet in this area. And then he goes on in the verses that follow, and he gives these leaders some final direction. Here are Paul's last words on how to lead the church. And he highlights four things. The responsibilities, the resources, the reasons, and the rewards. First of all, the responsibilities in verses 28 to 31. And here Paul lists three. The number one responsibility is be right with God. Verse 28, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. Notice the order there. Be on guard first priority for yourself. One of the dangers of leaders is that they often focus so much on the spiritual walk of others that they neglect their own. And so Paul says, your first responsibility is to guard yourself. If you're not right with God, you can't lead anybody else because leadership is all about setting an example. Leadership is not just telling people what to do. Leadership is showing people what to do. And that's why Peter said in 1 Peter 5, 3, to his fellow elders, we are to be examples to the flock. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, be imitators of me just as I am of Christ. And one presupposes the other. I have got to be imitating Christ so that others can imitate me. And that's why Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.16, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear. You see, it starts with me. A church will not rise above the spiritual level of its leaders. And so the first responsibility of a leader is his personal walk with God. Second responsibility, shepherd the flock Verse 28, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Now I want to add a footnote here because there are several things that we learn here about church leaders. Number one, leaders are referred to by various titles. Back in verse 17, we read that Paul sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. That's the Greek word presbyters. It's a word that has the idea of spiritual maturity. But here in verse 28, he refers to these same individuals as overseers. That's the Greek word episkopos. And it's the word from which we get our English word bishops. Now, oftentimes we think of a bishop today as someone who is over several churches. But that's not the case. Because here he's talking about elders in verse 17 and overseers or bishops in verse 28, and he's talking about the same individuals. You can refer to me as Bishop Dan. And that's scriptural. But I want you to notice another word here. He says their job is to shepherd. And that's the word pastor. 
So elders, overseers, bishops, pastors are interchangeable titles for the same individuals. Secondly, leaders are always plural. Notice verse 17. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders, plural, of the church, singular. The church in Ephesus had a plurality of leaders, and that's consistent throughout the New Testament. And then the third thing I want to point out. Leaders are made by the Holy Spirit. You see that in verse 28? The Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Being an overseer is not a career choice. It's not an elected position. The Holy Spirit makes overseers, and then they are to be recognized by the believers. And their second responsibility is to shepherd the flock. Now, in the first century, there were many shepherds around. And the two primary functions of a shepherd was to lead and feed the sheep. And those are the two responsibilities for leaders in the church. They are to lead. They are to give the direction that the church is to follow. The New Testament knows nothing about congregational rule. The New Testament knows nothing about democracy in the church. It is to be led by those that the Holy Spirit makes overseers. That's why believers are commanded in Hebrews 13, 17 to obey your leaders and submit to them for they keep watch over your souls. And that's why Paul refers to elders in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 as those who were given charge over you in the Lord. Overseers are to lead the church. And that's a serious responsibility. Because in Hebrews 13, 17, it says that they will one day give an account for the way they've led you. So they are to lead. Secondly, they are to feed. Remember in John chapter 21 when Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? Three times he gave him an exhortation. Once he said, shepherd my sheep. And the other two times he said, feed my sheep. Because those two ideas are synonymous. To shepherd is to feed. In Psalm 23, we read, the Lord is my shepherd. And what does he do? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He leads us to a place where we can find spiritual nourishment. That's what elders are to do. Every elder may not be the one who actually feeds you from the Word of God, but they provide that pasture that you can feed on. And sadly today, many pastors fail to do that. They lead their sheep from one barren wasteland to another, never providing the spiritual nourishment that people need. And having laid down this responsibility, Paul reminds us how important it is at the end of verse 28. He says, you are to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. He reminds us of the value of the church. The church doesn't belong to man. It's not a man-made organization. It's not like the Lions Club or the Moose Lodge. It belongs to God. 
And it is the most precious commodity on the earth because God purchased it with his own blood. There is nothing you can do in this world that is more important than caring for and leading and feeding the church. Secondly, he reminds us of the example of the Lord. He shed his blood for the church. In John chapter 10 and verse 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd does what? He lays down his life for the sheep. If he gave his life for the sheep, then what are we as under shepherds to do for the church? The same thing. Then he gives us a third responsibility, and that is to guard the flock. Verse 28, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. It's not enough for a faithful shepherd to lead and feed the flock. He must also protect it. And pastors must protect the flock from two directions. The first is from predators without. Verse 29, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. The first place is from without, and he says, savage wolves will come in. Now, who are these savage wolves? Well, Jesus talked a lot about them. And he defined them for us as false teachers. In fact, in Matthew 7, 15, he says that these false teachers would come as wolves in sheep's clothing. And Paul says, I'm leaving, but I know that these false teachers will come. Did they come? Yes, they did. In Revelation 2, 2, Jesus addresses the church in Ephesus at a later time. And he says to them there, uh, commending them, that they had tested those who said they were apostles and were not. False teachers came from without. Second area or direction they had to look out for was defectors from within. Verse 30, And from among your own selves men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Some will come from without, but others will arise from within, from among the leaders of the church. And he says they will speak perverse things. That word means to twist or distort. They will twist and distort the truth of God. And their goal will be to lead disciples away. Did that happen in the church at Ephesus? Yes, it did. Paul later wrote to Timothy while he was in Ephesus two letters, 1 and 2 Timothy. In 2 Timothy 2.17, he mentions two fellows by the name of Hymenaeus and Philetus. And he says, they are men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and thus they upset the faith of some. And so Paul says, you're going to be attacked from without. You're going to be attacked from within. Verse 31, therefore, do two things. Number one, you're to watch. Verse 31, therefore, be on the alert. Elders can never relax. They can never daydream because there are too many enemies out there. They have to be alert. They have to be watching. And secondly, he says, you are to warn. Verse 31, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. 
Paul says, remember what I did for you. Why? So that you can do the same thing. And what did Paul do? He admonished them. That word means to warn and correct. How often? Night and day for three years. And how did he do it? With tears. I like that. Paul warned them with tears. That's in keeping with what he would later write to the church at Ephesus, telling them to speak the truth in love. I heard about a certain church that dismissed its pastor and got a new one. And a lady asked one of the members why they had gotten rid of the old pastor. And he said, because he kept telling people they were going to hell. And she said, well, what does the new man say? Oh, he keeps telling them they're going to hell too. She said, well, what's the difference? And he said, the difference is that when the first one said it, he sounded as if we were glad. And when the second one says it, it sounds as if it's breaking his heart. You see, that's admonition with tears. And that was the heart of the Apostle Paul, and that's what he calls leaders to do. So the responsibilities of spiritual leaders are be right with God, shepherd the flock, and guard the flock. And then secondly, he highlights the resources in verse 32. What do spiritual leaders need in order to carry out these responsibilities? And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul says, I'm leaving, but I'll send you another apostle. No. Paul says, I'm leaving, but you already have everything you need. And so I commend you to God and to his word, to prayer and to study. Those are the same two resources that the apostles relied on. In Acts 6, 4, they said, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Prayer has been a constant in the life of the church in the book of Acts. They prayed before choosing the replacement for Judas in Acts chapter 1. They devoted themselves to prayer in Acts chapter 2. They prayed in the face of persecution in Acts chapter 4. They prayed when choosing the seven deacons in Acts chapter 6. They prayed for the release of Peter in Acts chapter 12. They prayed before sending Paul and Barnabas out to the mission field in Acts 13. They prayed before appointing elders in the churches in Acts chapter 14. They prayed about every aspect of the early church. There is no substitute for prayer. It acknowledges our dependence upon God and it lines us up with His purposes. And without it, shepherds will lead and guard the flock in vain. And then the other resource is God's Word. And we've seen in the book of Acts how dynamic it is. In Acts 6, 7, it says the word of God kept on spreading. Acts 12, 24, the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. Acts 19, 20, the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1, 18, the word is the power of God. And he reminds us here in verse 32 that it's able to do two things. One, to build us up spiritually in this life 
and two, to give us an inheritance in the life to come. And so Paul says, you've got all the resources you need to carry out your responsibilities. You've got God and his word. And then thirdly, he gives us the reasons in verses 33 to 35, or the incentives for leading God's church. Verse 33, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. Paul says, I am not in this for what I can get from other people. I am not coveting what they have. In fact, verse 34, you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. Now, Paul had the right to be supported materially by those that he ministered to spiritually. And sometimes he took that right, but it was his custom not to. And in Ephesus, not only did he not take support, but he worked himself to support himself and the others who were with him. And he even went beyond that in verse 35. In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak. He not only worked as a tent maker to support himself and his co-workers, but he made extra money so that he could give to the weak. That is, those who were physically unable to work. And by doing so, Paul says, I set an example for you, and I also remind you of a principle at the end of verse 35, and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Dr. Earl Pierce called this the supreme beatitude because the other beatitudes tell you how to be blessed. This beatitude tells you how to be more blessed. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And that is the principle that must motivate a spiritual leader. He must focus on giving, not getting. God will never bless the ministry of someone who is preoccupied with money. Jesus made that clear in Matthew 6, 24, when he said, you cannot serve God and money. And one of the qualifications for elders in 1 Timothy 3, 3 is that he be free from the love of money. And Peter, speaking to fellow elders in 1, Timothy, or 1 Peter 5, 2, says, to shepherd the flock of God among you, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. And so the reason elders are to work hard to serve God's church is to give, not to get. It's to be blessed, not by man, but by God. Which brings us to the fourth thing he highlights, and that is the rewards. And I can pick out three rewards that are evident in this passage. One relates to the past, one to the present, and one to the future. The first reward I see here is back in verse 26, and that's a past reward. Paul says, I am innocent of the blood of all men. Paul could stand at this moment in time, look back over his three years of ministering in Ephesus, and he had no regrets. He wasn't standing here saying, I could have, I should have, I would have. He's saying, I am innocent of the blood of all men. Paul was confident 
as he looked at the past. He had a clean conscience. And that's a great reward. Secondly, he had a reward for the future. And that we saw mentioned in verse 32 at the end where it says, to build you up and give you the inheritance among all who are sanctified. Paul looked at the future with confidence as well, with the assurance that he had an inheritance. And he also looked forward to the promise given in 1 Peter 5, 4, for every elder who shepherds well. It says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. In the past, a clear conscience. In the future, the promise of an inheritance. What about the present? Well, that's in verses 36 to 38. It says, And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they began to weep aloud and embraced Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken, that they should see his face no more. And they were accompanying him to the ship. These men were saying goodbye to Paul for the last time. It's not like that commercial where the people are moving out of Green Bay and, and everybody says, oh, we're, we're real sorry, we're going to miss you, and they drive off and they race down to try to get their tickets to the Packers game. They're going to see Paul no more. And this is a moving situation. It's filled with tears and kisses and hugs. And I really believe this was a very significant moment for the Apostle Paul. Because he's on his way to Jerusalem. He knows that the persecution that he's been so familiar with is going to be intensified when he gets there. And yet on this beach in Miletus, he gets a taste of the greatest reward that a servant of God can get in the present. And that is the outpouring of love by those who have been affected by his ministry. The outpouring of love by those who have been impacted by a good leader. Leadership is crucial. And as these men with tears in their eyes watched Paul sail away in that ship, they were left with his words and his example about how to be an effective leader. The responsibilities, be right with God, shepherd the flock, and guard the flock. The resources, prayer, and the word of grace. The reasons to give and not to get, and the rewards. A clear conscience about the past, the deepest kind of love in the presence, in the present, and the crown of glory waiting in the future. And my challenge this morning is a simple one. It's to myself those who are leaders in this church and those who will be leaders in the future to take these exhortations seriously. To realize that the most important ministry in all the earth is the ministry to the body of Christ. And to spend our lives in giving all we have to be the leaders God has called us to be. We're going to close in prayer, and before we do, I'm going to ask Jason Mercer to come forward, who was baptized this morning. And after we close, I'm going to have you come and and greet Jason. Let's pray together.
Father, thank you for your word today. We thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul, a man who literally gave his life in shepherding the church of God. And Lord, as we read his words today, inspired by you, I pray that they might go deep within us to challenge us with the importance of being the people that you've called us to be. And Lord, realizing that what we do in this lifetime has eternal significance. Lord, motivate us to follow your example and that you shed your blood for the church. And in following the example of Paul who gave his life, that we, like the good shepherd, might lay down our lives for the sheep and the result might be that you get all the glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.